Good morning. At least it's good morning for us and welcome to the Woman on Fire podcast. I'm Daniela and as usual I'm here with the wonderful Jamie Lewis. Good morning. Aloha. And we've got a very special guest with us today. Uh, beloved teacher and friend that I look up to, Margot Blackstone. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks Glad for being here. here. Yeah, I will invite you to introduce yourself to people, let them know who you are, what you're about, and what you're fired mm-hmm. up about in this world. Mm. Introductions are always such a funny thing. It's like, you know, some people have their set way they do it every time, but I feel like I have to make it up uh, on the fly. So yeah, my name is Margot Blackstone. I am a home birth midwife here in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, what else? I'm a midwifery educator. I also do a lot of other educational work through indie birth for both moms and doulas as well. Um, I have two kids of my own, both who were born at home. And I live on a five acre little homestead. And yeah, I was just telling Daniela before we started recording that we've got our first strawberries we've ever harvested, which is exciting. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of my life, birth and my kids and this little homestead project and trying to change the birth world for the better. I guess that's the, the, the piece of uh, what I'm fired up about is, yeah, creating something really um, new, but also old, um, combining both the masculine, feminine, sacred science in all the ways. Um, and currently I'm really excited about uh, like money and business stuff and how we might revolutionize that and move more towards uh, models of gift economy. Magnificent, thank you. Well, that's, that's all so amazing. Kids, family, homesteading and strawberries sounds lovely Mm -hmm. (laughs) i love the thought of um the the gift economy and the thought of exchanging things other than currency that's really exciting at some point i would love to dive in with you about that but i think today we're here to talk about what's going on with midwifery in minnesota and how does it work and um because of course We've looked into that from Hawaii's perspective of trying to look at other states and how they are doing things. And there's a lot of curiosity of whether it was just, it's like a loophole or it's intentional. So, um, yeah, how, um, how is midwifery in Hawaii? How's your practice? How is, um, or not Hawaii, sorry, Minnesota. And how is, um, what is your outlook on, on things such as this? <laughs> mm, yes. Okay. So I'll, I'll try my very best to do it justice. I guess at the outset, I would just like to say that, you know, I, I definitely looked into all of this. I'm really interested and curious about licensing. Um, I knew from the very beginning of my midwifery training, I was not going to ever hold a license, um, which I think is kind of unique. Um, but that said, I, ultimately am i allowed to swear on your podcast uh i ultimately don't give a shit what the rules are here so that was part of the uh drive to move to minnesota move back to minnesota um i also had family here and a lot of like 
ties and um, Lake Superior is really, really beautiful. And I feel like pulls my heart back to Minnesota over and over again. Um, the big lake, it's really amazing, sacred, magical um, gift. And so there were those reasons too, but yeah, part of why we came back was the openness around midwifery here. And before I moved back, I had the privilege of talking on the phone and having a really great conversation at least one with Kim Garrett, who was um, a really a really key figure in the way that the Minnesota midwifery laws came to be. And like I said, I don't know that I can fully do it justice, justice and I wish that you could have her on to talk about it because she was sort of like the keeper of that piece of the midwifery history here. Um, but I'll tell you what I do know, which is that you know, there came a time when they were sitting down at the table to figure out licensing and she pushed for there to be a voluntary licensure um, sort of piece of the puzzle so that people could choose to have a license if they wanted and they could choose not to if they didn't. Um, in recent years, uh, there was this really sort of crappy article that I was a part of. I, I had hoped it would have turned, it, turned out better, but the person who wrote it was just kind of an idiot. Um, from NPR, not NPR, the Minnesota Public Radio. Um, and there's a link I could get you, but it was looking at um, midwifery across the state. And they interviewed me because I'm pretty outspoken about being unlicensed and that sort of thing. And where is it going to this? Oh, they also ended up um, interviewing one of the politicians who was originally around when the rules and regulations and the, and the bill was passed. Um, and he said, and I don't think that this is what he said way back when, but now, this was just like a couple years ago, um, two years ago, he said, oh, well, at the time, I didn't think anyone would actually take that route. You know, like he was, he was like, I, I threw him a bone essentially and like included that piece um, thinking, why would anyone not want to have a license? And why would anyone hire someone who's not licensed? And so in this article, he actually said like, maybe we should revisit this because that actually is a bad idea. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Nothing has come of it and it's been two years. So I don't think anybody cares enough um, at this moment to try to change it. But I guess um, for some of like the more large birds eye view, I guess, macro perspective in Minnesota, licensure is voluntary. So when I explain this to parents, this is how I explain it. Um, you can choose to have a license. You can choose not to have a license. Both are legal. Um, there, it gets really confusing. So I was actually on the Minnesota Midwives Guild board for a while um, until my um, presence there became too controversial. And so <laughs> I just said like, forget it. I don't even wanna be a part. I didn't wanna be a part of this anyways, because like I said at the beginning, like I don't actually care what they say I'm allowed to do. Like I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. Um, and so I had agreed, to, they had asked me to be on the board I hadn't volunteered myself. And so I was there because I thought it was interesting and I wanted to, you know, maybe be a part of being a protector of that space. Like you said, I think maybe before we started recording, like that legal space. Um, yeah, I wanted to maybe be a part of protecting that. And then ultimately I realized like, I, I don't feel like I need to be a part of that. Uh, in order to protect that space, like me existing in the way that I do is enough. Um, 
So I'm all over the map here. Sorry. Are there specific things? That no, you're doing great. Here? You're doing great. It's actually, I like the, the story of how you're moving through these things and recognizing like where your value is placed. Yeah. And yeah. Right. These are the yeah. layers we want people to understand again. Why does this matter? Right. Yes. Choice. But it's like, what does it mean in reality? Right. How and does it so affect people's lives? Yeah. Yeah. And you were kind of like feeling like you were kind of getting in the weeds a little bit as far as as far as like it's confusing. And that's why you jumped into like understand like joining the board and whatever. So in what way is it confusing as far as licensure and non licensure? Like what are the rules if you're not licensed or what is the it? And it's okay if you don't know because you don't give a shit. It's totally fine. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. And okay, so I guess the part, yes, thank you for bringing me back to that sort of place before I diverge. <laughs> um, so what's oh, we'll be diverging. <laughs> Excellent. There's, so there's the Minnesota Midwives Guild, which I'm no longer a part of, even though I still get the email. So whoever's in charge of the listserv for Minnesota Midwives Guild, you're welcome to take me off it if you'd like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I still get all of them. Uh, and then there's, so it's like this very kind of like hodgepodge group of people that's like not very organized. And also, I think this is an interesting point, is primarily made up, um, I mean, they have a representation of midwives around the state, but meetings take place in the cities, which like I said also maybe before we started recording is a couple hours away. And as an on-call midwife, there's no way for me to go there and like actually connect face-to-face -face in person and sit in a circle and talk about these things. And so there's very much when I sort of um, flamed out and was like, you know what, like I'm done. Um, I said, this is really troubling that we have this rural urban split as well as licensed, non-licensed. Like there's these, all these fractures that make it really hard to have any kind of actual conversation with a diversity of voices. And so um, that's problematic. So that's Minnesota Midwives Guild. I'm sure there's a lot more to be said, but I don't uh, have a whole lot at the moment to say about that. But they're, they're the sort of the keepers, that group, that guild is the key, the keep, they're the keepers of the guidelines. So um, there's that. And then there's also the Minnesota MCCPM, Minnesota, What's the other C? The CPM group, right? Um, so I'm not a CPM um, and I've never been to any of their meetings, but my understanding is there's sort of beef and that they think that they should be in charge of the guidelines and the keepers of that instead, um, even though that's extremely exclusive because you don't have to be a CPM to be a midwife in Minnesota. Right. So there was like a tension that grab, arose. Power grab. Totally. So that was sort of the tension that arose in the last few years that I got to bear witness to. Um, and it's all very interesting. So I don't exactly understand. And I also don't know why someone has to be the keeper of the rules. Like that all eludes me. Um, and I yeah, who makes the rules? <laughs> yeah, but my, my at least soft understanding is that in Minnesota, even if you are licensed, there aren't like serious consequences to breaking the rules because they're, they're not rules, they're more guidelines. Um, so I think it's interesting. And so I, I do say that to parents when I'm interviewing with them, that again, sort of back to the basics, you can be licensed, you can be not licensed. Um, even if you are licensed here, the rules are pretty flexible and open. The guidelines are pretty flexible and open. 
Um, and I also tell people like I came from Arizona where that's not the case. They were not open to interpretation. They were not open to um, any sort of critical thinking or common sense. Like they were black and white and there were consequences if you broke them, if you were a licensed midwife, um, which is one of the main reasons that I have chosen not to do that. Um, because even though it's more open here for licensed midwives, the spirit of uh, rules and regulations just doesn't sit right with me. Um, and then if you're an unlicensed midwife, you have to call yourself. So if you're, if you're licensed in Minnesota, you're a licensed traditional midwife. And if you're not licensed, you are a traditional midwife, which is fascinating, right? Um, I actually don't consider- Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't actually consider myself a traditional midwife anyway like I don't actually consider like so legally that I have on some of my paperwork but I don't consider myself a traditional midwife um so many of the things I do aren't traditional like I'm sitting here with like an ultrasound probe next to me that I could use if I wanted to so like that's not traditional right mm -hmm. so um yeah that's kind of how the distinctions break down um there is a formulary of drugs that we're allowed to use as traditional midwives um but there's no like pathway to necessarily get them aside from informal channels so um yeah it's all kind of a mess is what it feels like an unclear mess but there seems to be at least common agreement that it is allowed we are allowed to be unlicensed um you just have to call yourself a traditional midwife and they want you to make it clear that you are not licensed which i definitely do. I have it very explicitly um, outlined what I am and why and my training and all of that for parents to test out themselves. Gosh, so many questions. It's so interesting how different it can look from state to state, uh, country to country, and just even individual different cultures and different people's perspectives on what it means to be a mm -hmm. midwife or traditional or this or that. Um, so one question you just mentioned you're allowed to carry some drugs what are you allowed to carry as a traditional midwife in minnesota what a good question if you're comfortable I wonder, sharing <laughs> i wonder if i can pull it up for you quick it's quick enough uh to answer you fast but um my understanding is we're allowed to carry vitamin k eye ointment which i don't um quitosin cytotec maybe methogen that's a question mark in my head at the moment um Broken. yeah lidocaine what else yeah i think so uh, i know there was like a i think oxygen is not allowed and that was because um there was a group of midwives who didn't want it allowed because they didn't feel like we should be bringing oxygen um to birth because it can be dangerous um but it's interesting that then they Thought it was, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So I know. So yeah, I can find that link for you though. I had it, or I think I even screenshotted at one point because I think people often in Minnesota have that um, have a misunderstanding. They think that you can't carry any of those things. Um, and it's, it's typical of most like optional licensure is that if you're not licensed, then you can't, right. you know, have any antihemorrhagics or whatnot. So right mm -hmm. right so it's kind of nice that you you know again you don't have the 
channel to get it. You have no way to acquire it legally, but you are allowed to have it and administer it, which is interesting. Yeah. So you just need to know other people who are happy to give it to you. Of course. Well, and midwives take care of each other is also the reality. So, yeah. Because they know that they're taking care of families. (laughs) Right. So do you have to be a CPM to license? Or what are the requirements for license there? You do? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Okay. Do they accept the PEP process? Mm Mm-hmm. They do. Okay. Because that's getting phased out in places, right? Right. It's still being honored there. Cool. Hawaii doesn't accept the PEP process, which is actually for folks like a lot of folks that when the sort of buzz of licensure started coming down the pipes here, a lot of folks started trying to get their CPM, but through the PEP process, because of course we're in Hawaii, so there's no, and and it's a really slow drawn out process because there's not a lot of midwives and there's not a lot of preceptors through that organization because it's never been something right it's not it hasn't been you know it hasn't even been around that long (laughs) and hawaii is notoriously the joke is that they're 10 years behind anyway (laughs) wait with everything yeah so that and that kind of then all these midwives all these women were doing the the pep process and now that's not recognized in our state law so now, mm-hmm. even though they're qualified, even though they can qualify for CPM, they don't qualify for the license because they didn't do a meek accredited school. Yeah. Oh man, what a mess. Yeah. Such a mess. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the licensure, like it is in most places, often pushed with the under the facade of like, well, it's for people's safety and to increase access to midwifery care. And, you know, mm-hmm. in fact, it, that's not what is occurring in Hawaii because like I was sharing before we were recording that a large percentage of the midwives in Hawaii would actually not qualify for the license. And unless we can change something in the law, which we have the opportunity to do so in the next year or two, if things don't change, then we might lose a lot of midwives, right? Mm-hmm. So this whole increasing access to midwifery care is not true. You've actually just no. gone, yeah, done away with a bunch of the midwives and also made it harder for people in Hawaii to become yeah, midwives. People. Well, in the experienced midwives, because they say, well, that's normal when you do licensure is that you'll have a drop off in access, but then it'll slowly increase. So it's it's not just losing the midwives, it's losing the experienced midwives or the, you know, or the ones that are like embedded in their communities. And I think because mm. our demographic is so why, you know, our geographic situation is pretty intense too. You know? <laughs> like there's places where an ambulance won't get to folks for an hour plus. So oh, having, yeah, but it's not a place that a new midwife is necessarily going to move because you know, I mean, some people want to go move off grid in the middle of the jungle, but some people that's their community. They were born into it. This is where they are. This is their family. So I think that that yeah. is something that is um, we're facing here, trying to and, and another reason to try to just protect this optional licensure. Yeah. So when we spoke with Casey and she was sharing about Utah, you know, she shared there's a lot of Amish in the 
throughout Utah. And, you know, that may be playing a large part in why there's so much uh, support in the community to preserve midwifery diversity. Do you think there's something like that going on in Minnesota as well? It's possible. Um, I have not ever attended an Amish birth, but a lot of the midwives I know here, that is definitely part of what they offer, uh, part of the community that they serve. There's a very, very busy midwife, um, sort of up north, more rural, uh, more, yeah, um, actually in fertile Minnesota, which is a funny thing. Um, and I, I, I don't know how it splits, um, but I know she does serve a lot of Amish families. So yeah, that is a thing around here and especially in Wisconsin too, but Wisconsin, so, um, you know, if I drive 20 minutes, I'll be in Wisconsin, I'm right on the border. And Wisconsin's laws are completely different and they're more typical. So just, you know, mandatory licensing, um, you know, pretty rigid rules and regulations, that kind of thing. So it's weird because in my mind, especially, you know, even just politically, it's really bizarre because they're a red state and Minnesota's a blue state and you'd think that they would be looser. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't know, it's really interesting. How when it all crossing played. the imaginary line changes everything. <laughs> Do totally. you find that you have women crossing over from Wisconsin to work with midwives in Minnesota then because it is more open? Um, not necessarily. Uh, there's a good number of midwives in Wisconsin. Um, so I've had some people over there contact me, but yeah, no, not it's not like there's a what's the, a diaspora happening where people are like coming here for that um although yeah I don't know it's so interesting and then like how all this you know ties together with other places um and other topics around autonomy and so Wisconsin's homeschool laws are way better than Minnesota's homeschool laws so there's some families that live there because it's better for that um but then birth is more open here so it's just really interesting it's an interesting thing yeah and like you said the crossing of the invisible border um when I've sat down with women in Wisconsin um or who live in Wisconsin uh, that usually just draws their attention really quickly to how ridiculous these man-made constructs are licensed unlicensed um legal not legal like what does any of it mean it all just starts to fall apart when you can see yeah just how fragile it all is I well, hope yeah, that arbitrary is, it is. <laughs> right. Why that it is ridiculous when you start seeing how many inconsistencies there are. And I hope this interview, the other interviews, all of it, all these conversations can kind of highlight that for people. I think that's a big part of it. I don't know if you've shared your story, Jamie, of what happened recently with the school and being able to be a preceptor. There's just I don't know if you want to share that today, but there's these inconsistencies where it's like, guys, it doesn't make sense. They're telling you it's for your benefit, but really they're all Mm -hmm. making random shit up and it it doesn't actually benefit you in the end. (laughs) Well, and it's just, I mean, we always say too, it's not always about birth, but of course there's, as midwives, it all kind of just ties into like, this is kind of where this stuff starts. We're looking at these arbitrary things and then getting curiosity about like well how is how are things constructed and how is you know how free are we really when 
all you have to do is cross the border and then you can do this or all you have to do is, you know, and this is all the same country, but you know, yeah, the, so I'm going to be um, submitting paperwork to be a preceptor for midwifery college of Utah, because you don't have to be licensed or credentialed to be a preceptor. You just have to be experienced. And so here I, once that goes through and I'm assuming it will, then I can be a preceptor to get the credentials for the people working under me to get the license, but I will never be able to qualify for the license, even though I'm working yeah. for the Mika accredited school. <laughs> so it's, um, it is very nonsensical, but if I'm going to do it because of course I have women who are interested in working towards this and I also feel like it's a way to go to the legislation and say look at how arbitrary this is <laughs> how how can this make sense that I can work for the school that provides the accreditation but I can't license here because I didn't get that very specific accreditation that you can help and others get grandfathering in clause or anything Nope, nothing. Uh -huh. Nope, no. nothing. There is, and there's no, we're two years in and there's no board and there's no protocols and there's no guidelines, totally. which is a good thing, except it's not going to stay that way. Right. And again, so all these people are signing up for a license that they don't even know what they're going to be bound by. There's no, and if it was such an important safety issue, then why two years in do we not have guidelines and why do we, you know, so it's again, like just those curiosities of like, if this is so crucial and such a important, right, it's like the emergency cesarean that takes an hour to get into. Oh, totally. Sorry, I always bring it back to birth, but it's like, there's so many <laughs> relatable pieces. <laughs> yeah, good examples, yeah. yeah. Lots of inconsistencies. I'm, yeah, yeah. That's Which is why I can understand why you don't give a shit. Because it... Yeah. Who is the woman in front of you and what does she want and what's right for her? Right. Yeah, and I think it goes back to just... I think that you raise an interesting point too around like there are women who want to work with you in order to... And their goal is to get licensed, right? And so... I think that that's such an interesting thing. And I just put out an article yesterday. I haven't shared it anywhere yet, but I published on the blog um, about how like licensing is a, is a product of colonization and like an internal colonization and then like, oh, I need that thing so that I will be safe. I can't trust myself to be safe and other people can't trust me to be safe. They need the state to tell them that I'm safe. And I need the state to tell me that I'm safe as a practitioner. Like right. we've gotten so disconnected with our own selves and our own communities, um, not by any fault of our own. Like that is the world that we currently live in. And you know, that's where, yeah, that's where I feel like a lot of my work is focused is obviously teaching midwifery, but um, really reaching the people who are in that place you'll have to read the article. It's, I describe it yeah, maybe more completely there, but, but, you know, we, I get contacted by women literally every day saying, I want to be a midwife and your program like really resonates with me. And I want to like do it in this way that's combining the old and new. And, you know, like this looks perfect. 
but will your program make it so I'm legally recognized where I live? And I'm like, wah, wah, wah. And it's really hard to come from a place of like, I've done a lot of inner work over the last, you know, I've done, I've done birth work for 10 years. Before that, I was involved in other politics where I did a lot of like internal work and not that we can ever be decolonized, right? Like it's a really long process, but like those ideas weren't new to me that like the state isn't necessarily always looking out for our best interest um, and that, you know, the state controlling what we do isn't, yeah, isn't the world I want to live in. So that wasn't new to me. I came into midwifery already knowing, like, like I said, I already knew I didn't want a license. Um, I, I did, um, I, I was open to the idea of getting a CPM, which I didn't end up doing, which I could say more about, but, um, but I knew I didn't want a license. And so it's hard for me to put myself back to like, at this point, it's like 15 years ago, probably, um, where a lot of these people are kind of coming from and they're like, but you know, I, I, I want a license, like you have to have a license, right? And a lot of them, if you can kind of like take them from A to Z <laughs> through these questionings and the curiosities, they often will end up at a place of like, oh, I, I am on the same page and I actually don't care, but it's hard to get people there. And it's also really frustrating to watch people be like, oh, your program is perfect. We actually had somebody a couple of years ago, well, was it last year? They're like, your program was really perfect, but I'm, I wanna be licensed and I need to do the meek thing. And so I'm going to a, a program I won't, I won't name. And then, you know, a few months in wrote back, like, I feel like this program is killing my soul. This is not the midwifery I want to learn. I hate this. What do I do? And it's like, well, you know, if you had listened to me six months ago, <laughs> I hate to say I told you so, but you know, like that, that, and not that all me programs feel that way. I haven't done them, so I could never make that claim. But yeah, it's hard to watch people sort of trying to figure out this this balance of like, I want to be a midwife, but I don't want to go to jail. And like, how do I undo sort of like a lot of inter internalized um, beliefs that, that are really deep and scary and big? Yeah, I actually struggled a little bit with um, even agreeing to sign up for the preceptorship because I um, did CPM training too, but about... I don't know, maybe after the second round of paperwork, I decided that I didn't want that credential. I was already, you know, several mm. hundred births deep and that it just really didn't, I didn't want to feed this sort of narrative that like somebody, some arbitrary person yeah. gets to, gets to qualify me, you know, or what or whatnot, that it's really about that personal relationship yeah and really and then of course with the licensure and all the things too and um yeah it's very interesting and that i struck because i was like well i already decided i wasn't going to work with the system and here i am kind of getting pulled back in to help other people work with the system and so part of it is um is a little bit about kind of facing these legislators though in in a way that it you know, like this temper, I mean, I only have a year and a half to even qualify because if things don't change, then I will just be a birth coach or whatever I will be. <laughs> um, a woman who shows up with women. Um, but it's really an interesting dichotomy because I totally went, I, you know, I went through it a couple of years ago of deciding not to finish the CPM thing and getting a lot of like, well, why wouldn't you do that? There's no preceptors here. We need preceptors. We need preceptors. And I was like, you know, I just in my heart doesn't feel right 
to like mm -hmm. continue to feed this. Yes, the colonization. And we did a whole podcast talking about this at some point. And I think it's really tender here. The whole colonization piece is incredibly tender here because it is a very fresh wound. Mm -hmm. yeah. It wasn't that long ago. And the consequences, the ripple effect are still deeply felt. And so. they're just still signing off the land and signing off the land. And mm -hmm. the people here are getting more and more and more and more displaced. And it's, um, I mean, every, every legislative session, it's, mm. you know, people are standing for sacred spaces all over our world. And, you know, it's definitely not, I don't know, everything's under the guise of safety, but safety is so arbitrary and relative depending on where you're at and what your belief system is. And mm -hmm. the narrative feeds itself. And if you're outside of the narrative, then, which I is why I actually really admire both you and Marin for like standing on your, you know, in your truth and in your integrity and having a school that honors midwifery as an art and a science and the, the core of it of like really being with women is it's it's really admirable and i'm super actually excited and <laughs> to be here yeah. talking with you today yeah um, you guys have made a lot of waves you've done a lot of work and it's definitely it's recognized i mean you guys have done so made such important um brought to light such important topics and it's it's amazing and i really yeah it really is. You know what? I'll share a story, Margo, of how I stumbled upon, you know, your work and Marin's work. And so I knew I wanted to be a midwife. Uh, I never attended a birth, hadn't given birth myself, I, whatever, the calling, right? Just felt it. Mm -hmm. That's what I had to do. So I was going to do the pep route, but then I realized, oh, no, I kind of do like some structured guidance. So I did some research, found the National College of Midwifery. And it was the only one I could find that was the most, you know, affordable for me and also did not require me to leave my community. So I'm like, great, that's mm -hmm. the one, bingo, I'm in. So I signed up before I knew anything about anything. <laughs> right? um, and then later became aware of the nuances of everything of mm. midwifery. And as I was researching at one point, I thought, ooh, maybe I'll go to Bastyr. I could get a master's in midwifery because that sounds super sexy, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. And so I had signed up actually for like the summer classes that I needed, the last requirements to get into Bastyr. Like I was going to leave Oahu. I was going to go move to Washington or Oregon, wherever it is. Um, and then in doing some research, I stumbled upon, I think it was a podcast that Marin put out, A Midwife of the Heart or A Midwife of the mm -hmm. Numbers. And that was me starting to understand these nuances, mm. right? Of, and she, in that podcast, it just dives into people's experiences that go to birth centers or, you know, what it means to be chasing these numbers. And uh, yeah, this kind of separation that's kind of happening between the intuition, the heart, the roots of midwifery, and then the mainstreaming and professionalization of midwifery and man well that kind of made me cancel all my best tier plans to be honest I was like I can't and I had some conversations with people that had been to best year and their conversations were very fearful 
And I found mm-hmm. myself getting very fearful of like, oh my gosh, I do need to learn how to use Pitocin. And I was like, I had never attended a birth and I was already afraid of hemorrhage of like when mm. that wasn't on my mind before. So I was like, wait, I need to take a step back here. Uh, mm. And, you know, I'll stay in Hawaii and take it slow. And if I want to go to best year, I can go later. But I don't think I want to start there. Four mm. years later, I still don't want to go to best year. <laughs> Um, but that's how I stumbled across the indie birth work. And, but now I'm at this weird place that I'm having a hard time figuring out. And I want to hear more of your story with the CPM thing, Margo, because I suck with the National College of Midwifery for reasons, you know, I was like, whatever, I'll just run it. And now I'm at the end of it. And I have to decide if I'm going to finish the one math class I need to finish the program. And then, you know, do the whole NARM testing and get the CPM thing. I know I don't want a license. I know that part. I figured it out finally. But the CPM part, right? I'm like, well, they don't control my scope of practice. So so there's that part that makes me like, well, maybe it wouldn't be too, that bad. And it could open up the door for international work if I ever felt inclined to do that. So could you speak to how you found your clarity of that you did not want to be a CPM and just what came up for you? Mm, Sure. Yeah, it was definitely a big back and forth for me throughout my time as an apprentice. And I apprenticed for about five years, um, both with Marin. And then uh, I did do five weeks at a high volume birth center, sort of at the tail end of my apprenticeship. And yeah, I, when I was at the birth center, I had my paperwork for the PEP process, um, had everything, you know, signed off. But speaking of like, just like ridiculous rules and things, you know, Marin, um, I can't remember, it was, I think it was because she hadn't had her CPM long enough when I first started with her that the first year with her didn't count. And that was one of our busiest years of my apprenticeship. And so even though I had been to 50 births when all was said and done with the birth center and then a couple more with Marin before I moved here to Minnesota, on paper, I still looked like I needed, I think, seven or 10 more. Um, And so when I was moving here, I contacted a midwife to say, hey, can I do some primary births with you? I'm almost done. Um, And then that is a long story, but it fell apart. Um, after we had moved here, I never went, I actually did go to a birth with her a few years later, but, um, but not as a student. And so that fell apart and I was left in this place of like, what now? Like, do I go back to the birth center to get these last ones? Do I even want this? Um, and then I had a midwife, um, who also was unlicensed. Um, she recently got her CPM, which is, of course, interesting. She wasn't a CPM at the time, but she's got, gotten her CPM since. Um, and it's still unlicensed, though. She asked me to be her backup for a birth. And it was about six, about six months after we moved here. And I was like, well, you know, like, I'm not really taking clients yet. Like, I am in this weird limbo. And I had made this dramatic Facebook post about how I didn't know if I'd ever actually be a midwife. And she was like, well, I trust you with my client and my client liked you. So can you just be my backup? She's not going to have her baby anyways. And then she had her baby um, while she was at a conference. And so I like drove in the middle of the night, you know, an hour and a half 
to this lady's house. I'd only met her once, I think. Um, and I didn't have an assist. I just had a doula who was a friend of the family who was there. Um, and I'd also met her once, I think. And it was this like really nice, easy, lovely birth. And on the way home, I was just like, yep, I'm ready. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't want to do the paperwork. I don't want to pay the tons of money. I don't want that validation. Like I, it felt like a sign for me, like my community wants this. And so it wasn't like overnight black and white, but um, I taught another, I, I love teaching. And so I taught a free workshop about birth. Um, I think it was maybe the first or second one I had taught since I moved here. And a woman came who had been planning a birth center birth. And she afterwards was like, hey, I'd like to switch to you if you're available. And I still was in that, like, I'm not so sure if I'm really doing this. Like I had a website, but it was like, um, and so she was my first client, official client here. Um, and she's still a very dear friend. We're going to go paddle boarding together in a couple of days. Um, and, and it just kind of snowballed from there. Like I gained my confidence little by little. And I was very, very, very honest with the people that I met with. And it's funny to think back, like there was nothing for me to be insecure about. I mean, other than like midwifery kind of is scary, right? Just like always, but <laughs> um, you know, there was nothing, there was no reason for me to feel like I was less than, even though I did feel that way, I think for a little while, but you know, it was a little bit of a fake it till you make it in the confidence department. Um, I feel like that brought something else up too, as far as like community stuff and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, teaching I feel like also helped gain, helped me gain confidence. Just seeing how much my community appreciated what I had to bring to the table. Um, there's something else, but it's okay. Yeah, so that's that's a little bit of like the peek into the the CPM piece. I still have the stuff somewhere with all the signatures and you know all almost done. Um, I keep meaning to like burn it in a bonfire or something but I haven't so done that yet. I have mine too in like an old doTERRA box ah. <laughs> it's, on it. it's in it's in the to-go pile as well <laughs> ceremonial fire let it go gosh yeah, yeah. I don't hard. think it's yeah yeah like you said it's like your scope of practice isn't limited so there's that um I mean in all honesty, probably if I had had everything completely filled out by the end of that time with the birth center before I moved, like I probably would have sent it in. I don't know. But then there was also this like Marion wasn't a registered preceptor and she still isn't. And so there was that piece. And like, I don't know, it just felt like there were too many places I had to either compromise or like things that felt hard. And a different version of myself earlier in life would have been like, I'm going to do it anyways, even though it's hard. And I feel like now, I don't know. I feel like I've learned, hopefully, some lessons so far in life. <laughs> it feels that hard. Maybe it's not the right thing. Um, right. And so I don't think like the CPM is evil, um, but it didn't feel like it was going to benefit my life either. So. Yeah, I felt like this. I agree. I don't think that CPM is an evil thing. I just, but I did feel like it was the driving force for what was happening with the law here. And totally. that, and that it's was part of it all that with me, because even when I started 10 years ago, there was no licensure. There was no talk of licensure. There were just, and I just, I just moved here a couple years prior from Washington, from Seattle. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and then decided that this is what I wanted to do. And the only way to get the education really at that point was 
to move back and I had bought a house and started a family. And so that wasn't mm. really in the cards. So I just started attending births. My midwife, fortunately, was um, wonderful to just take me under her wing. And that's so I just I just said, take me to all the births, right, without having any real direction other than this is what my heart's work is now. So. Yeah. <laughs> And so then to have it all come up and then being about, you know, starting, like you said, you know, that it doesn't count. I, I wanted to like put the air quotes around it when you were talking about the births that you did with, with Marin that didn't count. Right. And so yeah. I had, when I started my CPM, I had already attended a, you know, 150 plus deliveries and oh. they didn't count because it wasn't with a certified preceptor. Right. And then going through it and, and well, what counts and what doesn't. And of course, experience is what counts, which is why those numbers yeah. are there. But um, yeah, and then seeing it being this driving force for licensure, um, watching that whole thing evolve was kind of what made me want to step back and be yeah. like, wait a minute, like, who does this serve? Who does this, you know, and, and and watching it happen across the country, right? Like a wildfire, like sweeping across the country that like, that's the credential. And then the, the license is, is the end all be all. So that was um, yeah. my hesitation, I think of kind of watching it all unfold. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I wish I could like go back in time and see what it was, you know, and feel what it was like when the CPM and NARM like was first a thing because I do understand like the intentions and that they thought it was the right thing to do but it's like you know hindsight's always twenty twenty, and there were people at the time who said it wasn't the right thing to do you know um that this is the this is like one step down the path towards I think the word you use which is so good is like the homogenization of midwifery and this is and then also I think tying back into like the fact that midwifery is kind of like the legal stuff here in Minnesota is a total disorganized mess. And in Hawaii, like there still isn't something after two years, like NARM is no different. Like it is totally, from what I can tell, disorganized and they're making it up as they go. They're just humans. Like we're all just humans. Yeah, and so all... it's so bizarre that we're like, well, these humans get to decide based on like a test that they came up with like a billion years ago. And it's like testing on a topic where there aren't always right answers. And it's just so, um, yeah, it's like this collective belief or uh, yeah, like we're collectively suspending our disbelief and like making the CPM and the, you know, NARM exam or whatever, like into something that it isn't really capable of being since it's just a thing humans made up. and. Um, well, and every birth is different and every scenario is different. So that's exactly it is that there is no right answer necessarily. You just have to guess what they want you to say. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and certification and licensure, you know, really go hand in hand. Um, and that's the thing that we get asked all the time with our doula training is like, oh, well, will I be, will I be certified? And I'm like, you're welcome to certify yourself. Like, what does that even mean? What is this? What is but these words just totally are meaningless when we get to the to the root of them and especially for people who are connected to themselves and aren't looking for that outside validation and um 
Yeah. Well, and I think too, like going back to that point of understanding what we thought we were sort of going towards creating this and then mm-hmm. seeing the aftermath of it, that midwives are still um, largely untrusted and yeah. earth is still largely like um, cast in a negative light. If you're not in our world, if you, you know, if you're in the 95%, it's still dangerous and, um, you know, experience centered, not health and wellness centered, even though statistically that's, you know, and statistics, of course, one way or another, whatever. But the reality is that here we are 30 years deep into this certification process and midwives are still witches and dangerous and folks who choose this are still under this microscope of um, having CPS called and all these, you know, like mm-hmm. things. So has it gotten us what we thought, what the intentions right. were, right? The hindsight, the lesson is always in the hindsight. And so to continue to perpetuate it is also um, a curious thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and it's not to cast a light that something is good or bad or black or white. There, the reality is that we live in a gray area. And so um, it's, yeah, I don't, I feel sometimes when we talk about these things, it's like we're demonizing it, but really it's about curiosity and about like, what do we want to perpetuate and is it working and is it worth it to give these things up? So, yeah, and I think there's the two camps and maybe there's many many but you know two come to mind where there's like you know my my perspective and and others like me who think well then maybe we should go back to not right not having certification not having licensure and then there's other people who are like well we need to double down like this isn't working it's because we don't have enough we need to now be meek accredited we need to now have more regulation we need to have more oversight um you know, that kind of thing. And then we'll finally be um, trusted. We'll give up more of our rights and more of our autonomy. Then then we'll be part of the system and they'll respect us. And it's like, no, they won't. It's hard to be respected when you give everything up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who are you? Who's respect, right? Whose respect is... Yeah, I want to just like triple harp on that point of that it is handing over autonomy for women and midwives because it's not just about the midwives right it's the woman that Mm -hmm. actually give birth right that's really what this is about about the woman that part exactly (laughs) right that part somehow gets forgotten a lot in these conversations not with us but other folks but that's what happens. And I've actually heard a midwife say, well, you know, if we can't do twins or breaches, um, then that's just going to have to be a fair price to pay in exchange for being able to legally be there with credentials for some woman. And it blew my mind. I was like, those aren't your rights to give up though. <laughs> like you think the twin mom, mo- you know, many twin moms might be totally cool going in for their routine C-section and don't care to even entertain the idea of a home birth cool, but some will. And mm-hmm. what about their right to choose that for themselves? So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, we are trading in rights and autonomy and personal choice. 
And I, I heard one wise midwife friend say, and she's totally licensed and like into the whole system, but also she's, I asked her like, what do you think about licensure? She's like, oh, it's the worst thing we've ever done for ourselves as midwives. We just handed over our rights in exchange for little any really for, for to carry to carry medications yeah so i know we're right. at the end here of so. our golden hour with each other um margo i want to make sure you have time to share if there was any particular point or nugget you wanted to point out or share with people here today and also just take time to let people know how they can contact you and if there was anything you wanted to share about the school or whatever Mm. yeah protection into the future hope and yeah hope joy. please some hope <laughs> yeah I think there's a lot of hope I mean like I said I get emails every single day from women all over the world um you know they're all English speaking so I know there's way 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 more out there that aren't English speaking too but um you know women saying like I want to do this I feel called to do this um and I really do believe that women are feeling that their communities are lacking something, you know, the way that it used to be when there wouldn't just be one even, you know, there'd be many midwives in the community ready to, to be there and to serve and the, and the community would support them as well. And so I think there's something, um, you know, in our DNA that is understanding that there's, are these puzzle pieces missing and so, so, so many women wanting to, to be that puzzle piece for their community and, um, like I said, I, I do teach midwives, but right now it feels like a lot of the work is around unlearning a lot of these patriarchal colonial mindsets. And so we made a mini course, uh, which is really, really fun and does just that. It's called the Beginner's Guide to Radical Midwifery. Um, that was sort of our answer to, to all these questions we get all the time. So um, we were like sick of saying the same thing over and over and sending the same email with our pool resources over and over. And so instead we made this mini course. Um, so you can find that on our website. You can find so much stuff on our website, indiebirth.org. Um, and then for things that are specific to our midwifery school, which is an almost two year program that's all online, uh, you can go to indiebirthmidwiferyschool.org. Um, we have a couple different really cool free uh, little PDF guides. We have one that's uh, geared towards moms called, what is it called? Powerful Pregnancy Guide. I think that's what it's called. Uh, we have one for doulas as well. And we also have one for midwives, a student midwife primer. And all of those will kind of like point you to the next logical step if it's something that you're really interested in. Um, so like I said, we have a, a mini course on um, you know, radical midwifery and sort of looking at all of these things that we've been talking about today. Um, we also have one for doulas called doula dreams which is for women who are thinking they might want to be a doula but they're kind of needing to explore it all more and and often the women that are attracted to our work um, that want to become doulas are people that are not wanting to do it in the mainstream doula way um, where it's like one prenatal and one postpartum and you're not allowed to use essential oils like not that <laughs> that's not what we're talking about when we talk about doulas um, and so we have a lot of really great resources for those folks too, including a full four month um, doula training program online. So all of that, like I said, you can find it indiebirth.org. You can also just email me directly if it's too much to sort through um, all of our people that we've ever talked to about like, you know, business stuff have been like, you guys have too many things. You need to just pick one thing and we can't. So we've done our best <laughs> to keep it organized 
and streamline and we've done a better job in the last year or two but um yeah if you want to send me an email you can get me at margo at indiebirth.org and i can get you steered in the right direction um, we also have a really great social platform where you can go ask questions and connect with people and um, even try and find some people who are local to you to meet face-to-face -face in person um, who are perhaps of like mind. And you can find that at social.indiebirth.org or on mobile via the Mighty Networks app. So that was a lot of information. So like I said, Margo at indiebirth.org and right. I can point you the right way. Yeah. You women right. are so incredible and you've created such a wonderful, all-encompassing community and, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, just taking the time to chat with us two random midwives on a while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, thank you so much for, for being the hope and helping move forward this idea that midwifery can be more. Um, and it's really the, the spaces that you have created are safe and and um, for the co topics of conversation. And I just really, again, like, you know, not just trying to schmooze you, I really appreciate what you guys <laughs> have done and the space that you hold and um, making mm. time to chat with us today about what's going on in your world over in Minnesota and, and yeah. why it matters, why it matters. So. Yeah, oh, you're so, yeah. so welcome. And that's just reminding me, I actually, just today, we've made it so our book is available um, in, in the gift model, um, the PDF version of it. So if people wanted to read all about specifically Marin's um, process of being licensed and giving her license back, since that pertains to our conversation here today, um, that is in our book, which is called Indie Birth, A Story of Radical Birth Love. Um, if you go to indiebirth.org slash book, you can get it you can either buy a copy, the, a physical copy, or you can get the PDF download and it's for a pay what you can, whatever you want, or $0 um, option. So we just want more people to have access to that. Amazing. And you know, that book was so much fun to read because of the way that you guys write is really, you need to really <laughs> just like honor your personalities. It just comes through in the book, you know, just casual writing out of this like really complex and like rigid yeah. structured writing. Like, no, and it's so it makes it really fun to read. It's almost like I'm having a conversation and I want to talk back and respond, but I can't because it's a book, but, <laughs> but I couldn't put it down because it's just like, it just flow so well into each other so yes please go enjoy treat yourself to that book it's it's worth it um whether you're a doula mom dad you know sister midwife um yeah and all the services everything you guys put out it really is reflective of you guys and how multifaceted you are and multi-talented and mm -hmm. wonderful woman you are so thank you for being you in this world and honoring you you know and just doing that whole truth and authenticity thing really well. Yeah, truly. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So thank you for your time today, listeners. You know where to find Margot. And thank you. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Aloha.